Amen. Well, good morning again. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is like week four or five, I think, of generosity. Pastor Mike began our time together talking about how generous our God is, um, because you know we need to be rightly motivated to be generous people. And that picture, that mindset, that understanding of how generous God has been and the story of generosity throughout all of history is so crucial. I, he's done a lot of work here, but I want to remind us of just a few things. It's, it's been said that creation, for example, itself is an expression of God's generous, lo- gen- generous love. If you look back at the garden, it was a world full of opportunity and abundance in which we, people made in his image, were called to enjoy his goodness and generosity and then share it. However, we, ever since the fall, just like Adam and Eve and Israel and the people of God, for generations and generations, we don't always experience the world this way. Opportunity and abundance, amen? We sang this, and your labor is not in vain. There's loss, there's sickness, there's pain, there's evil, there's poverty. But our scarcity problem, our mindset of scarcity, isn't caused by a lack of resources, (laughs) God has not been stingy. Rather, history shows that our experience of scarcity comes from a mindset where over and over, humankind does not feel that God can be trusted. Or you feel like he's holding out on you. Or there's not enough. And so oftentimes we will then like take matters into our own hands. And when we believe that deception of scarcity and the stinginess of God, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else, right? It leads to envy and anger and violence and greed and jealousy and selfishness, all things that are certainly not leading to generosity. If you think about Adam and Eve, what happened? Adam and Eve were created in a garden of abundance and they ended up thinking God was stingy. Israel too was delivered from slavery by God's merciful kindness. And they end up complaining and not trusting in God and his provision, though God shows it over and over and over again. Go read the Torah. Israel then enters a land of abundance, literally the promised land, overflowing with milk and honey, and yet again they forget God and believe that there's not enough, thinking that God was holding out on them. You read the stories of the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament and you look at your own life and experience of those around you and over and over again, humankind complains and thinks that God either can't be trusted whether we would say it or not or that he's holding out on us. And so we build up walls around our stuff and our lives and we seek to get more so that we can prepare for the future and we're not quick to give and to serve and to love. What's amazing though is that God time and time again meets humanity's complaints with mercy and goodness and more and more from his abundance of generosity. We see this, the pinnacle of his generosity, the best gift ever given, the most abundant gift, the actual source of all abundance and generosity in the life and person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to free us from the deception of the enemy, that God is stingy, he can't be trusted, he's holding out on us. Jesus actually lived with the conviction that there is enough and that the Father can be trusted. He lived with the mindset of abundance and it was out of that mindset and that position and that posture that allowed for him to be so sacrificial and generous even to his enemies, even to the point of death. death. To show us the depths of God's generosity towards us, this is what Jesus did. 
His very life was given to free us from that which sought to rob God's generosity from us, sin, death, and the devil. It's why Paul says in the text that we just read, you know the generosity of God, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. God wants us to receive and experience his generosity. God wants us to share and get in on his generosity. And the ushering in of God's kingdom through Jesus, who is the better Adam, the better Israel, and the better you and me, by the way, ushers in a new wave to receive God's abundant generosity and to become more generous ourselves. Because the kingdom of God, friends, is a kingdom of abundance. We have all that we need. We lack nothing. And when we as God's children trust him and believe that there's enough, we start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere. I mean, just imagine if that was your mentality. I can trust God and I have enough. I can trust God and I have enough. I can trust God and I have enough. And so I wanna dive into our text this morning. I wanna look at five lessons. I'm sure you could find more, but we're gonna talk about five lessons that we see from Paul in this passage that Pastor Mike talked about last week as well about how to become more like Jesus through generous living, amen? Lesson one, I love this, here we go. What you think are obstacles to you being generous don't need to be obstacles. Look at chapter eight, verse one, two. Paul says to the Corinthian church, hey, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Check out Macedonia and consider their lot, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So he's basically about to exhort, as you heard from Pastor Mike last week, the Corinthian church to get in on what they promised they were gonna do and had been preparing for a year to bring forward this offering to bring relief to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And he's gonna come collect it. In the beginning of chapter nine, he's gonna say, hey, you know, don't get stingy on me. I don't wanna show up with others and you guys actually not be ready to give and not be willing to give. That would be embarrassing for you and everybody else. And so he's pointing them to the Macedonian church to rid them in some sense of any excuse they might have to not be generous. And he says the Macedonian church Their current circumstance is severe affliction and extreme poverty. And what do they do? They give extreme wealth of generosity. Paul basically says that the generosity of God, brothers and sisters, his grace, his goodness, his abundance will meet you in your deepest need. You can go through the most severe of affliction. You can be in the midst of the most extreme form of poverty, and yet even there, the grace of God is found and is more than enough. I love the song we sing, Your your Grace Finds Me. You have it. It's there on the newborn cry. It's there on a wedding day. And it's also there at the weeping by the graveside in the darkest night of the soul. Your grace finds me. And so I know, as a pastor in this church, very well of a lot of the burdens and needs and affliction and poverty in this church. And Paul's point to us and to the Corinthian church is not to minimize the reality of pain and suffering, but actually to maximize the generosity of God. 
He's saying the grace of God is what will sustain you in affliction and poverty. It will cause you to endure suffering. And most importantly, God's generosity gives you hope that one day, we sang it, all this suffering will end. Amen? But that's kind of like obvious. I get it. If I've been around the church, I know that the, God, the grace of God is going to meet me in my deepest need. But what Paul is saying here is actually that the grace of God is meant to do something else. The grace of God meets you in your affliction and in your poverty so that they don't become obstacles to your generosity. Look at chapter 9, verse 8. God is able, boy, those are three powerful, powerful words. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul's using the testimony of the churches in Macedonia to encourage those in Corinth that generosity is not discriminatory. It does not matter where you live, what your background is, how old you are, what your education is, how much you have of whatever it is, what the circumstances of your life are. No, God's grace meets you everywhere you go and richly provides you what you need to endure and to be generous. Lesson one, what you think are obstacles don't need to be obstacles. No Christian actually ever gets to say biblically, I can't be generous right now. Ain't that amazing? Because, lesson two, the generosity of God supplies our generosity. Look at what Paul says in chapter eight, verse seven. As you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. Paul's actually saying two things here. One is the more common obvious thing, In one way, Paul is saying, look, as you seek to grow in your spiritual walk, become more like Jesus, don't just grow in your trust and assurance and faith and belief or your understanding of the word or your speech or your passion and love. Also grow in generosity. In other words, you should be becoming more and more generous. Amen. For sure, Paul's saying that. But what's also in the text is it could also be translated this way. Since you've been gifted with such abundance, for example, an abundance that leads to deeper trust and access to God's words, an abundance of knowledge and wisdom, an abundance of passion and love at your disposal, don't forget that you've also been gifted with an abundant supply of generosity. In other words, the abundantly generous God will make you abound in generosity as you follow him and draw nearer to him. And so good news this is why no Christian ever gets to say, I can't be generous right now because your, your generosity is not dependent on your supply. Your generosity is not dependent on your seeming limitations. You don't give out of your supply, but God's. This is so good. Have you ever heard the statement, you can't outgive God? Well, this is how stupid we are. <laughs> Forgive me. You didn't think that was funny, so hope. It, it wasn't in my notes. This is what happens when I get off my manuscript. Don't be offended. I'm calling myself that too. Why is it that when we think the statement you can't, why is it that we think the statement you can't outgive God means this? I give 50 bucks and he's going to give me back 500. What are you talking about? As if the world revolves around you and money's the answer to everything. You know what you can't outgive God means? I can give away all that I have and still have more to give because I'm pulling from God's supply that never ends. 
Brothers and sisters, you are free to be generous and give because all of your giving isn't coming from something that you've earned or worked for or built up. It's not dependent on you. Paul is saying that God is the supplier and the sustainer of our generosity. It's all through the text, chapter eight, verse one. What the churches in Macedonia gave is attributed to the grace of God. In verse six, Titus' part in the offering was called an act of grace. In verse 14, it says that God gives us times of abundance to meet others' needs. It's like God sees a need, and so he gives the people around that need an abundance to meet that need. Isn't that crazy? In chapter nine, verse eight, God gives us an abundance of grace to have everything we need in order to give generously out of the abundance. In chapter nine, verse 11, the Lord enriches us in every way to be generous generous in every way. Our limits are supplied by his abundance. And so the generosity of God supplies our generosity. Lesson three, if severe affliction and extreme poverty are not the opponents, what are the real enemies? And here, we see that we're to identify and fight against the real enemies of generosity. Because friends, make no mistake, there are things inside of you and outside of you that are trying to make you stingy and greedy. The tone, we didn't read it in our text, but in chapter nine, verse one through five, Paul's tone reveals that he understands that there are real opponents of generosity, and so he exhorts them, hey, when it comes time to give, you're making a plan, but when it comes time to give, Make sure that you finish the work and give. Because there are things that would divert attention from others back to ourselves. In chapter eight, or chapter nine, verse eight, Paul calls us to recognize the sufficiency of God's generosity. That could be translated as an exhortation for us to be content with what God has given us. He uses that same word, sufficiency, contentment, in 1 Timothy chapter six, verse six through 12. It'll be on the screen. Read this together with me. Not out loud. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, Matthew 6, with these we will be content. That is sufficient. Now watch this. Here comes the dangers. Here comes the opponents of generosity. Those who desire to be rich, opponent number one, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. You see how simply a desire to be rich, greedy, selfish ambition will actually open the floodgates for other sins and temptations? And it will plunge people into ruin and destruction, Paul says, because the love of money is a root root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving, unsatisfied, unmet, never satisfied, never met desire, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is actually one of the reasons we pray the Lord's Prayer. That's why it's it's a daily practice because built into the Lord's prayers, prayer, are words to help us fight against the enemies of generosity. The four biggest enemies of generosity are built right into the Lord's prayer. Enemy number one, selfish ambition. And so in the Lord's prayer, we pray against selfish ambition. 
something like this, Lord, too often I want to use my resources to make much of me, to build my kingdom, to build bigger barns, bigger homes, a nicer car, to invest in worldly things, to look pretty, to look handsome, to fit in, to keep up, to experience comfort, to indulge. This is not why you've given me abundance. And so we pray your kingdom come and your will be done so that we can be positioned to be generous with the abundance that God has graciously given us. Enemy number two, fear. Lord, I'm afraid that my bills aren't gonna get paid. I'm afraid I'm not gonna be able to provide for my family. I'm afraid we're gonna run out of food or diapers. I'm afraid of sickness. I'm afraid of what tomorrow holds. I'm afraid of not having health insurance. I'm afraid of loss. I'm afraid of poverty. I'm afraid of debt. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread so that we can be generous with the abundance you've graciously graciously given us. Enemy number three, relational division and conflict. Lord, I'm often stingy with my resources because I don't feel like people deserve my generosity. I often don't want to share because I think that others can be lazy or less deserving than me or they've wronged me or they've wronged people that I love. And so we pray, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us so that we can be generous with the abundance that God has graciously given us. Enemy number four, temptation and the evil one. Lord, just like Adam and Eve and Israel, I often think that you're holding out on me. I don't understand why other people seem to have more than me or seem to suffer less. Often I'm not content with my lot. I doubt your goodness and I believe the lie of the enemy that you are stingy in holding out. So help me not enter into that temptation and deliver me from the evil one so that I can be generous with the abundance that you've graciously given me. Lesson three is that if you wanna be generous, you need to know what is actively fighting against your generosity in your life and in the culture inside of you, outside of you. Lesson four, think holistically about generosity. Love this. We think of generosity as sharing what we have, and indeed that is for sure what it is. The problem is that we have a limited view of what we have. In chapter eight, verse five, Paul says, Fran mentions this all the time, and Pastor Mike mentioned this in Sermon Plus. Paul says, Paul does not say they gave money first to the Lord and then to us. Paul says they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. You see, generosity isn't just about money. Praise God, because if it is, a lot of you like me would be in trouble. Then, then you'd be able to say, Lord, I can't be generous. But isn't it so good that generosity isn't just about money? It also relates to, check this out, Influence, power, relationships, hospitality, and time, a listening ear, the gifts of the Spirit. This is amazing. I want you to consider Jesus' life. How many times have you read through the gospel narratives and noticed that Jesus gave away money? (laughs) You don't find it. What you do find in Jesus' life and his generosity, the most generous, generous man to ever walk the face of the earth is him giving his time and him teaching and him listening and him giving his hand to heal 
and his prayers and food for provision. I love it. In chapter nine, verse 11 through 12, Paul says, you will be enriched not monetarily, but in every way. To be generous, not monetarily, but in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God because the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs, plural, not monetary, of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Paul is saying this, you can't limit generosity to just money because the needs of the saints go far beyond just money. I mean, right now, think of your needs. I'm sure that for most of you, there are financial needs and pressures in this room. But what else? What else do you need? Anybody need prayer in here? Anyone need to overcome sin? Who in here needs encouragement? Who needs a friend? Who needs something fixed in their house? Who needs understanding? Who needs wisdom from somebody who's walked a similar road? Who needs help processing something in their life right now? Who needs a babysitter? Who needs food? Our needs are so much deeper than money. And Paul says exactly. This is what generosity is. This is how you think of generosity. It's one of the main points of 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, that the Spirit of God has given every member of the body a gift to be used to serve the body, to build the body up in love into Christ who is the head. Notice this. Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Corinthians talk about the importance of the body being built up by the body, nourished by each other's ligaments, okay? And so... It says that the spirit of God for you to become more like Jesus has given the people around you in this room gifts so that you can become more like Jesus. And you go read any of those passages and not one of those gifts from the spirit is money. Not a single one. There's teaching and hospitality and exhortation and words of wisdom and the list goes on and on and on. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as you, as you have received a gift, use it to serve one another to be a good steward of God's varied grace. Here's what you need to know today. You have everything you need to be generous. Take that one step further. This body of Christ, New City Church, has been given everything that the people in this body need through the abundance of others. One of the primary reasons that you've received grace in every form, in every fashion, is so that you can give, so that you can abound in every good work. We think of grace as such a personal thing. Look what God has done for me. Look at how he's forgiven me. Look at how he's meeting my needs. Look at how he's given me endurance to overcome affliction and trial and suffering and make it to the end and amen, praise God. But Jesus says it gets even better. He's also given us grace so that grace could overflow out of us and meet the needs of those around us. As you've received an abundance of grace, it gives you sufficiency, contentment in all things at all times and it overflows into generosity for others. Bless God in the sanctuary. Bless God when the weapon's forming. Bless God when my hands are full. Bless God when my hands are empty. Every chance I get, I bless your name. Chapter eight, verse 14. Your abundance, listen to what Paul says. Your abundance at the present time 
should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. Here's what's also true about every person in this room. You have an abundance of something. All of us. That's the reality, that's the lot for every person in Christ. We have an abundance of something. And the reason you have that abundance is because somebody else doesn't have that and they need that. Isn't it amazing how God works? And by the way, this was the early church. You go read Acts, they're bringing all of their things together. The people, the resources, the time, everything needed, their gifts, and they're meeting one another's needs. It's actually, quite literally, the New Testament church. And so we have this mindset. We recognize the abundant generosity of God and we're filled with joy and gratitude and we find ourselves no longer to primarily be in a state of suffering or poverty or need, but we find ourselves to be in a position of abundance. And only then can we recognize our calling as stewards of God's abundant grace to be able to meet the needs of others with generous, sacrificial love. Now there's one more lesson, but before we get to that lesson, I wanna just bring up three ways of application here. The first application, things I want you to do quite literally beginning today and as we move forward is I want you to remind yourself of the riches you have in Christ. We've talked about mindset being a practice. It's so crucial. If you don't think of yourself to be rich and in a position of abundance, you will not give. You won't be generous. And so I remind you what Pastor Mike told us a couple weeks ago, that you've been adopted you have a new identity and you belong to Jesus Christ. You've been redeemed. You're free from the punishment of your sin. You've been given wisdom, which is freedom to live according to God's purpose. You have a rich inheritance, which is hope of new and eternal life together with God and one another. You've been given the Holy Spirit, which is the presence and power of God in your life. And every day, you need to fix your eyes on those seemingly invisible things and say, this is my lot. This is my reality. This is what's most true about me and where I live. This is real, and it's of more value than anything this world has to offer. And then you start living out of that reality, that mindset, and I promise you, you'll become generous. The second application, pray the Lord's Prayer. We've been talking for four or five months, asking you to have a rhythm of waking up in the morning and praying the Lord's Prayer. Well, I want you in this practice to be praying a specific way. As we went through those four opponents of generosity, recognize that. And I want you to identify and take inventory in your life which one of those opponents is most prevalent in your life. What is causing you to be stingy and build walls around you and your stuff and your things and your gifts and your abilities and your time? Is it because you're full of selfish ambition and you want to build your kingdom? Is it because you're afraid that you're not going to have enough if you give away? Is it because you've got relational issues with others? Is it because there's sin and you're prone to wander into temptation or you're believing the lies of the enemy? Whatever it is, as you pray the Lord's Prayer this week, use it as an opportunity to fight against the opponents of generosity. Be specific, make a plan. Maybe bring to light some sin and confess with a brother and sister and ask for help. Fast, if need be. Third application, I really love this. Take inventory of your abundance. Everyone here, as I said, everyone here has an abundance of something. What is it for you? Maybe you're retired and your abundance right now is you got a whole lot of time or you got a whole lot of wisdom 
you had a whole lot of experience. This week, I want you to take all that abundance and I just want you to give it away. Maybe you've got skills and you can fix things or you can build things and there are people here who can't afford to do those things and need help and so you just serve. Maybe you love to cook and somebody's going through a time where it's not great for the house to get messy and there's sickness and you just need to be a blessing. I mean, there are hundreds of ways that you can be generous. What is your abundance? And maybe it is financial. What is the resource that God has given you in abundance? And this week, take inventory and give it away. In our church, there are real needs. There are deep needs. There are burdens that people are carrying emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially. And here's what's amazing. The generous God has given to people in this body everything that this body needs to grow. Everything that this body needs to be met has been provided in abundance to people in this church. You understand? And I truly believe that every need in our body could be met by the abundance that God has given to our body. And so if we start viewing our abundance that way, imagine what would change. Your skills, your resources, your season of life, what little you may think you have, someone in this body, I promise you, needs it. And God gave it to you to give to others. It's like don't come late to church and don't leave early. Don't do it. See a need and meet a need. Share life. Some people just need friends. Be a friend. I'm like, oh man, I really want to come to prayer and praise this Wednesday. And when we have our time of testimony, I want to hear about people's needs that have been met because of the abundance of other. I just want it, I, Rudy, I want like an hour of that. How beautiful and profound and edifying that would be. And Paul says that would actually result in many thanksgivings to God. It's powerful. Verse 13 hints at the fact that some people are burdened. He says, I don't say this so that you, know, you would be burdened, other people put at ease. So if you're burdened in, in this church, bring those burdens to light. Make them known. Pastor Mike often says, God knows where all the stuff is. (laughs) I love that. I can't tell you how many times it's the first time I've heard Pastor Mike say that, that I have literally prayed from a position of need and, and simply said, Lord, I don't have it. But it is a need. It's not a want. It's not for my kingdom. This is a need and I don't have it. But you gave it to someone and you know where they are. So will you supply my need through their generosity? And I would pray that this week if I were you. All right, lesson five as we close. Maybe the most important lesson. Remember the goal is to become more like Jesus. Let me explain. Chapter nine, verse seven, Paul says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, if we aren't careful with this practice of generosity, the result could be that a whole lot of you just start giving more. And seemingly, it would appear and look like you're becoming more generous. This is why Paul's exhortation here is so crucial. We are not to give more simply because we feel like we're supposed to, or to fulfill some moral obligation, or even, this is the danger, to make yourself feel better. 
You see, the goal of this practice of generosity and every practice of Jesus is not simply to become a more generous person, but to become more like Jesus himself. There's a way to be generous and not be like Jesus. But I promise you, if you're like Jesus, you're gonna be generous. Jesus never gave reluctantly or under compulsion, quite the opposite actually. Hebrews says there was joy set before him as he went to the cross and gave his life. It's like Jesus is the poster boy for cheerful giving. He literally came to this world to give away the generosity of God in abundance to the point of giving himself. And so Jesus says, come and follow me. The blessed life where it is more blessed to give than to receive. So my question for you today is do you believe Jesus? And I don't just mean like do you believe him and trust him when he says he's gonna give you eternal life or forgive you of your sins, but are you gonna trust him and believe him when he says no brother, no sister, no child, it's gonna be more blessed for you to give than to receive. The happy life that you so badly want which causes you to accumulate more and build walls around your stuff, what you think and are hoping to gain from that can only be received when you give. Following him really is the best way to live. Paul shows us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, it'll be on the screen. As for the rich in this present age, and just a quick word, rich does not only mean material things. We're all rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that, read this, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The authoritative word of God from the spirit of God says this, you want true, real, blessed life? Be rich in good works, be generous, and share what you have. Jesus, the richest of all, the creator and owner of everything, though he was rich, became poor so that others would be rich. And we, as we follow Jesus on the way, are called to do the same. True living, happy living, is to be rich and generosity, and friends, you have been given so much, and there are those all around you who need what God has given you in abundance. Let's pray. Before we sing from Psalm 23, which says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, which reminds us that every season of life, every lot that we walk through, God is with us, and goodness and mercy is following us, before we sing that reality in hopes that it would thrust us forward in generosity, I want to give you an opportunity just to pray and respond to the word this morning as the Spirit of God may be working in your heart. Just take a few moments and pray.